Relations and Journalism major at SMU. And hello, I'm Jonathan Smelly, a Public Relations major and Corporate Communication Public Affairs major at SMU as well. Welcome to Hello Hilltop. Today we are honored to be joined by an extraordinary SMU alum, Sarah Monton Chaikul. Sarah graduated from SMU in 2014 with a Bachelor of Arts in French Language and Literature, as well as a Bachelor of Arts in Art History, Criticism, and Conservation. Since graduating, Sarah has worked in France, New York, Turkey, Egypt, and currently she's in DC working at the Smithsonian as a graduate fellow focusing on object conservation. Location-wise alone, that's quite a resume in just the past six years. I'm sure you have so many stories that we're dying to hear. So Sarah, our first question is, what do your day-to-day -day responsibilities at the Smithsonian usually consist of? Thanks for the question. It's a good one, particularly now in this world that we're all living in. I work specifically at a Smithsonian unit called Smithsonian American Art Museum. And it is the oldest collection of Ameri dedicated specifically to American art in the country. Um, so very interesting collection already. Day to day, it looks very um, different than what I expected it to uh, before coming to the museum. And being in art conservation, the field is extremely hands-on. We're involved in the interventive treatment of objects if there's something um, that you would think, you know, like if it's broken or it doesn't function anymore, or if it's deteriorating in a way that we need to intervene, um, that happens in the lab. And then there's a whole host of other collections management activities and preservation activities that go hand in hand with that, that are more on the theoretical side, thinking about the museum environment, thinking about the gallery environment, talking about light levels, humidity levels, things like this. Um, but my day-to-day -day is, is very up in the air right now. Um, I have a few core projects that I work on as a graduate fellow, um, which I've been able to go in and work on those pieces of sculpture as I'm able to. But as you might imagine, my access is restricted by our COVID-19 precautions. And I try to telework from home as much as I can just to reduce any kind of contact. So teleworking for a conservator is very administrative. We're writing reports. We're coordinating um, with registrars and collections managers in order to access certain objects. We're coordinating with the entire conservation department to make sure that we're all sharing time in the space um, and not uh, and not you know coming into contact more than necessary. See, that's really interesting. So um, when you were going and starting, like I guess applying for your uh, fellowship at the Smithsonian, did you know at the time that you would be working there during the time of COVID? And how has your responsibilities kind of had to shift to do to that? I. No, I did not know that <laughs> when I was first um, applying. So I am currently in my fourth year of a four-year program at New York University at the Conservation Center, which is a dual degree program. So we earn a master's of science in art conservation and a master's of arts in art history. We do three years of coursework. And now I'm in my fourth year, which is an on-site fellowship. Um, so all of my classmates were all required within our specializations to seek out collections or conservators that we would like to work with in order to further develop our skills before graduating. I was applying to several institutions in the US um, starting last fall in conversation with people trying to figure out what projects they had on the table, um, if they would be able to host a graduate level intern, which does require some supervision, though perhaps not as much as um, 
someone who hasn't gone through any conservation training yet. Um, but it's really this back and forth of does my schedule work with the needs of the institution and their ex exhibition schedule? And I completed all my interviews in January of 2020. And then I left the country for um, seven weeks to go work in Egypt. And in that time, everything unfolded, particularly on the US side, even though we were seeing some rumblings internationally. But I got back into the United States right before um, everything went into lockdown. So I flew back in on March 10th and was just grateful to be back in, um, in the States. Uh, but no, so I when I accepted the position at Smithsonian American Art, I had no idea what this year was going to look like. And in fact, I was really worried that perhaps they'd have to cancel the internship or, um, or the fellowship because they wouldn't have the capacity to take on someone who essentially functions as an outside position. I'm not employed by the Smithsonian, but I'm doing my work there. Uh, but luckily they were willing to work with me. Um, they were extremely understanding and um, communicative and uh, we've adapted a lot of my work so that it can be done mostly teleworking with a few days in the lab here and there. Definitely, so you seem to be very passionate about what you do. So how did you first become interested in art history? I came from a family who really loved to go to art museums um, and so I grew up going into these institutions and feeling really comfortable in them, which is my own privileged background. And I knew I wanted to study art history. Going into SMU, I actually accepted uh, the, I guess, enrollment offer. I don't know what it's even called. Anyway, I decided to go to SMU because I was a Meadows scholar, specifically there to study art history. And I knew that they had funds allocated for Meadow scholars in order to pursue individualized research. So I knew I was interested in ancient art and particularly um, the ancient world of the Mediterranean. So I participated in the SMU in Italy archeological project, uh, which was a summer, I think it might still exist. It's, it's a summer course uh, where you go to learn archeological field school at Poggicola, which is the site of the Mugello Valley Archaeological Project and they're focused on Etruscan uh, material culture. And um, being there on site, I worked with the objects conservator who responds to all of the newly excavated material that's coming up in that season and fell in love with the field and uh, came back to SMU and tried to take all of my prerequisites that I could in order to get into conservation school and hit the ground running. Um, so you just were able to bring up your time in Italy and we just, we've already talked about your time in Egypt as well, but I was wondering with, with having so much experience in all of these amazing countries, have you had like a favorite so far that you would love to just go back to and relive? Hard question, <laughs> really hard question. I absolutely love Western Turkey. Uh, I have spent two full seasons working with the archaeological exploration of Sardis, which is sponsored by Harvard University. And the excavations there have a really long history. Um, Harvard's been involved since the 60s. And NYU's conservation program has been sending students there for decades. So there's a very robust 
conservation mentorship program that's not really so formal as it is um, a dedicated group of conservators who are interested not only in archaeological material, but they're also interested in mentorship and education. And that environment makes for an extremely rewarding one, particularly for someone like me who's in the beginning stages of their career. And um, the archaeological dig environment is really quite intense. Um, you're working, you know, often nine or 10 hour days, six days a week, um, because you are there for such a short amount of time. And it's very reactionary to where you're responding to a lot of newly excavated material and just the conditions of the field day to day. So um, it's, it's high energy, it's different kinds of problem solving than you would get in an institutional lab. Um, and I, I just fell in love with Turkey and, and the Turkish conservators I was working with there and the village where we dig. So you mentioned that you're in Egypt before the virus broke out. So once everything finally blows over and we're safe to travel again, do you think you're gonna stay in DC or go work somewhere else? That's a great question. <laughs> um, I wish, I, it, feels, it feels so um, fruitless to think about the future right now, just because you know, we're living so day to day. I have really enjoyed understanding the conservation community in DC. It is also one with quite a long history. People have been working in conservation in DC for a very long time and the institutions here have had a long history of supporting conservation activity. So it makes for a very interesting mix of people who are working in all of these different museums, not only the Smithsonian, but everyone else who's focused here in one of the most historic cities in our country. Um, I would, sh I should be so lucky to stay here um, if I could, but I also love field work, which I'm sure you both can hear in my voice when I talk about it. So those relationships with archaeological projects are extremely important to me. And I do hope that we can return to some kind of new normal of field work. Um, and I don't know what that looks like in the future, but I do hope that it happens. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get there soon enough. Um, within the next, hopefully, year, two years, uh, we'll be back there. But um, I was wondering if you could share with us maybe one of your favorite stories of working in a museum or um, on field doing research. Yeah, absolutely. I So as I said before, those two environments are extremely different. Um, and in the museum context, I have had internships at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston, and I've worked at the Metropolitan Museum in New York. I worked at the Whitney Museum of American Art, which is also in New York. Um, and uh, all three of those institutions are extremely different, not only in their collecting practice, but also in the conservation issues that come up in their collections. So I think my time at the Whitney was very interesting because they were putting on a show. Um, it was a retrospective of Rachel Harrison, who is a New York-based contemporary artist who works primarily in sculpture and installation. And seeing the conservators speak with her and to see how collaborative that process was, was extremely interesting. Um, and the kind of thing that can that is very unique to the museum context. Um, and 
there are a lot of issues with modern and contemporary art and with living artists that we can dive into more if that's of interest. Um, but that is certainly one of the most memorable experiences within a museum. And on site, it, it feels like every day is an adventure. Um, one of my favorite projects that I've worked on uh, at which happened at Sardis actually, which is the site in Western Turkey that I was speaking about earlier. Um, we were working on a portion of a Roman road mosaic um, that was left in situ, meaning it was excavated and left in its original context. And that project was ex also extremely collaborative where we were speaking with not only conservators, but also engineers with site managers, um, thinking really big in terms of issues of conservation and preservation because it is essentially an archeological, I'm sorry, an architectural fragment, um, a really large piece of a mosaic that was used as a Roman road. And it was being displayed outside in the elements and still in its burial context, essentially just exposed. Um, so that was an extremely interesting project uh, because it takes you very much into a larger scale as opposed to working in a museum context where you might be working on a sculpture that can sit on your desk in front of you. And this was something entirely different. That sounds super interesting. Okay, so you've already accomplished a lot since leaving SMU. And this might be the one you just mentioned, but what would you say has been the most rewarding projects you've worked on over the past six years? Good question. Um, one of the most rewarding projects. I think if I can cheat a little bit and bundle um, all of my work on site into one rewarding experience, um, because as I said before, it's a completely unique environment, not only for the conservation work, but also um, in a very particular cultural context in a very particular political context where you are confronted every day with the community who is, um, is actively involved not only in the preservation, but also in the use of these cultural objects. We are coming in as uh, you know, speaking about my experience in Turkey as a non-Turk um, and um, as someone who was trained in an entirely different way than Turkish conservators were trained and understanding that there is um, a really wonderful opportunity to share knowledge back and forth, things that are only possible when you are fully immersed in an environment that is completely other to you. Um, and I think it gives us also the opportunity to think more about value systems and to think about the, um, the community that we are excavating in and their relationship to our site, um, to think about our best practices in terms of community involvement, of asking how we can be better scholars and um, and more inclusive as a team. Do you plan on, after your fellow, what do you plan on doing, I guess, next after you finish your fellowship at the Smithsonian? Do you plan on settling down or traveling some more to do more field work? Um, what's next for you? Well, I graduate in May. Um, and. After I graduate, I hope to find a position um, working in objects conservation, and that doesn't necessarily need to be in the United States, though um, 
I think it's likely that I'll stay here for a little bit, especially with the way the world is going. Um, but I am excited because I will finally be finished with school <laughs> and um, have the opportunity to look at institutions, look at collections, look at conservators, and um, think really as, as big as I possibly can. So not only, well, and I should say, there's not only the world of institutions like cultural heritage institutions, but there's also the entire world of private practice that we haven't touched on at all, where there are conservators operating independently, running their own businesses, um, who might have relationships with institutions who don't have their own conservation labs, but also with private collectors, um, with foundations like artist foundations. Um, I'm really, I'm really open to, to anything that comes my way. I think my interests has only um, broadened as I've continued with my education. I really, I think I expected it to narrow a little bit more, but I really like everything that I've come across. And I think that's what's really unique about conservation as opposed to art history, where I can be interested in material and that material can come from anywhere at any time. So if I'm interested in ceramics, well, I can work on archeological ceramics, but people who are living artists now are also working in ceramics. So there's a, an amazing amount of versatility and flexibility within the field. Awesome. So I was wondering how you've been able to use your French degree in your career. And if you would say knowing a second, second language has been really helpful. Knowing a second language is absolutely essential to my work. I think also too, um, with all of my site work, I speak conversational Turkish and I was learning Egyptian Arabic because I think it's really important to learn the language where you're going to work. Um, but in terms of using my French degree, I use it all the time in art history. There are tons and tons and tons of sources published in, Fran um, in French, excuse me. And, um, and so that has been really useful in my scholarly work. And I also spent a little bit of time in a private lab that is located in the northern suburb of Paris um, in Anières-sur-Seine. And I was working with Olivier Lagarde, who is a French conservator specializing in metals. And um, it was a wonderful opportunity to learn how a business runs in a completely different country um, and in a country that has a completely different attitude toward cultural heritage than we do in this country. Um, so it was directly useful for that. <laughs> but also French is, um, is, is spoken um, pretty widely in the arts community. And so often we will have scholars come whose first language in is French. And that's always a really nice thing to be able to have a conversation with someone in their, in their native language. Um, and yeah, I don't, I can't stress enough how, how much I think um, language education is important. See, I, I completely agree. I took, I guess all three of us here studied French. Morgan's still studying it. I only had two, I had all of high school and then two years in college, but um, your accent was absolutely amazing. I was like, wow. Um, so I was wondering, I wanted to kind of dive into your time at SMU for a second and just, I was wondering what your experience as a whole was like and if you still keep in touch with any of the friends that you've made or any of the peers that you had in classes, do you, did you, uh, do you see them in the professional world? SMU, um, it was, 
it was an unexpected place for me, I think. Um, I really wasn't sure that I was the right fit for SMU at first and um, was very glad that I did my undergraduate education there at, when everything is said and done. Um, Meadows is absolutely unparalleled in terms of its arts education and access and support. I felt that as a student, I could approach my mentors in the art history department and work out ideas and really grow as a scholar um, in an environment that was challenging and also um, extremely encouraging. In terms of friends at SMU, absolutely. I still keep in touch with, um, with friends of mine. My roommate from freshman year, who was a random roommate, she and I are still really close. Um, and, you know, I was living in New York for, um, for four years and there are lots and lots of SMU alumni who live in New York. And so that was nice to be able to connect with, with this network that I didn't know that I had. Um, and being a Texan in New York is already a little weird, <laughs> um, but, but there are quite a few people and it's so wonderful to see how everyone has found their way into the city. Um, I have friends who work in all different sectors in advertising, um, in, in publishing, in the arts, um, in business. I mean, SMU's network is huge, which like, I know every, like everyone says that all the time. I feel like as a student, they're like, you know, you have this network and it's amazing. And I didn't really see that until I left the campus and realized now my friends are colleagues. Um, and it's been amazing to, uh, to be able to call on them, you know, as friends or, or as colleagues. Yeah, hopefully that happens to us too, John Evan. So do you have a particularly favorite memory you wanna share with us from SMU? And if you can remember, who was your favorite teacher slash what was your favorite class that you took? Oh boy, yeah. Oh, I, now that you say that, I feel like there are so many people I'd love to, to shout out. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, well, Dr. Paula Buckley in the French department is absolutely fantastic. I have her right she, now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Please tell her hello for me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. She um, is incredible. And I owe so much of my competence in French to her and her encouragement. And um, Barnaby Fitzgerald, who is a paintings professor in um, Meadows, he also one of the most intelligent people I've ever met and um, really challenged me, really pushed me in my paintings courses, which, you know, was hard in the moment, but I think, uh, I think it really helped in terms of my understanding of, of art production um, and helped me, helped me really appreciate the um, craft of painting. Um, and those two are, giants in my mind, you know, in my memory, they're incredible. And then um, in the art history department, um, she's not there anymore. She works at Princeton and is head of the um, Christian Art Index, but Dr. Pamela Patton, who um, heard me when I said that I wanted to be a conservator and advocated for me, really just encouraged me on my journey when there really wasn't a whole lot known to me at the time about conservation. And I was just starting to do all my research and um, and find a way into this field. And she was absolutely invaluable. But my, I think my favorite memory at SMU, I was an RA 
And I was an RA in the SMU Service House, which is just a fantastic community of people. It's a really um, unique place at SMU. I don't know if you guys know about it, um, but it certainly shaped my whole experience being an RA there. And I still talk to some of the people I lived with, some of my residents. Um, what a, it's, it's such a beautiful memory I have in my mind of living in that really special community and, and using the time there, um, our service together, our service hours that we completed, like getting to know Dallas and getting to know the communities of Dallas that exist way far outside of the SMU bubble. I understand how you feel about that. I was the president of my dorm for a while, Cockrell McIntosh. So um, I, the memories that I made during my time there were definitely some of the best ones that I remember. So I, I get where you're coming from with that and I'll remember those too. But one of my final questions for you is, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about your document, Conserving Pithoi, Past and Present, the Mugello Valley Archeological Project. That document came out of my engaged learning project which I completed it must I, I guess it was summer of 2013 um, but I went so I participated in the field school at Pojacola with the Mugello Valley Archaeological Project in the summer of 2012 um, the summer after my sophomore year and then I went back the summer after my junior year to complete this engaged learning project where I wanted to supplement the conservation education that was happening on site. So Pithos fragments, um, these large uh, coarse earthenware storage vessels that are extremely common on site, they um, are very interesting and they're also huge. Um, they're really, really large pieces of ceramic and um, there was no document that, uh, enumerated how to care for these freshly excavated ceramic fragments. And the point of the document was to outline a very clear stepwise process by which you could bring the object in, process it and get it ready for storage. And um, you could do this if you were someone who was a conservation intern or interested in conservation or not at all, if you were just wanting to participate in that particular activity just to get some experience. So the document was supposed to be very accessible, um, written very clearly in order for the head conservator to give it to a student and say, look over this document, it'll tell you exactly how you should start thinking about these particular fragments. And um, then you can go from there. So it was a way to streamline some of the activity in the conservation lab um, and provide a little bit of context without taking away precious time from the head conservator. Okay, that sounds really cool. So this, we're on to our last question now, and it's what piece of advice would you offer to someone who's considering a career in the art history realm or French realm? I think don't be afraid to ask questions. Like don't be afraid to contact people. You know, it feels really weird to cold email someone. Um, and I had a lot of my own I don't know, personal issues, I think, to, to make it over that hurdle where I felt like, oh, I'm bothering them or, you know, I, it's, it's weird for me to do this if we haven't had an introduction in person or something like that. And it's really not. In this day and age, if, um, you know, if you can get an introduction from someone else, uh, you know, like someone else 
introducing you to a colleague, like that's wonderful. But I think that, um, you know, reach out on LinkedIn. If you can find someone's email, shoot them an email. The worst they can do is not reply. Um, and I think that uh, the internet is an incredible tool and it is so wonderful how you can access so much information now. And I think that there is a, a, new, a new interest in putting conservation information online um, because we want to tell people about what we're doing. And if you're interested in the field, um, I think that the internet is the best um, first step. Um, so I think, I think it's really that is learning how to put yourself out there to ask a lot of questions and to be able to, um, think about why it is you want to do what you want to do, whether it's within our history, whether it's in conservation, whether it's in French, um, there's a reason why you are interested and engaged in a particular facet of all of these fields and that's unique to you and it's what's going to keep you going throughout your entire career. And um, if you keep checking in with yourself and articulating it, um, I think it'll help guide a lot of decision-making, especially early on in your career. Well, we really appreciate that advice. And I'm afraid that that's nearly all the time that we have for today. But before we wrap up, I was wondering, is there anything else that you may want to add that might be crucial to your story? Or do you have any other comments? I think that um, I just like to say that we are in a moment of reckoning um, worldwide, but I think also particularly in the field of the arts and in cultural heritage. and voices are starting to be heard that haven't been heard historically. And I think that it's going to be extremely exciting and um, and a really dynamic time for institutions of cultural heritage. And that work is going to be really hard, um, emotionally draining, uh, you know, mentally, like intellectually draining. And I think that we owe it to all of these histories that have been erased um, to do that hard work and to use our voices as early career people um, to, to push and push and push for change because it's not going to happen without our energy. Perfect. Well, Sarah, I just wanted to say thank you for coming out and being uh, me and Morgan's guest today here on Hello Hilltop. It was amazing to speak to such an accomplished alum, and we just wanted to say thank you to our listeners as well. Yeah, thank, thank you, you all for coming. It was very interesting. I'm sure they're going to be very excited to hear it. Um, do you have any anything you want to tag yourself on? Oh, I actually don't have any <laughs> social media, but um, I, I am on LinkedIn. If anybody is interested in hearing more about conservation or art history or French, whatever. Um, if there was anything that I said today that was interesting to you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, yeah, th and thank you both. This is really so nice to be able to talk to you. And I hope that I've said some coherent things. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, sure. No, we, we really appreciate it. This has been so eye-opening and it's made me really excited to get out there and finish my undergraduate degree. So, um, you know, we have a lot to look, well, we have a lot to look forward to, but um, 
Don't forget to catch our other podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, and more. Make sure to follow us on social by visiting our Facebook and Instagram pages at SMU Hello Hilltop. Again, that's at SMU Hello Hilltop, where you can find behind-the-scenes info and upcoming podcasts. Until next time, we'll see you on the Hilltop. Thank you.